0: Hello everyone, Jesse Swain, Director of Infection Prevention and Control for Dartmouth Health here, back with a new series of podcasts, Calderwood Considers, where we speak with Dr. Michael Calderwood, Chief Quality Officer and an infectious diseases physician at Dartmouth Hitchcock Medical Center about the current critical conditions in healthcare. Dr. Calderwood will help answer crucial questions about the latest quandaries that impact healthcare workers and patients. Dr. Calderwood, it's so exciting to be in this new series of podcasts. What makes you the most enthusiastic when you think about communicating with our audience?
1: Jesse, well, first off, thank you for helping to lead this podcast. You and I have had the opportunity to speak a number of times during the COVID-19 pandemic about infectious diseases, infection prevention, hospital epidemiology. And these conversations have helped us to connect and share rapidly changing information. Our goal has always been to keep members of our healthcare community, as well as the larger community, informed. And as you and I took a step back, we recognize that there are a number of topics within quality and safety that would benefit from similar dialogue. And so we hope that our listeners engage with these podcasts, reach out with questions, and provide input on what they think are burning platform issues facing our local, regional, even national healthcare landscape. Now, as we launch the podcast, we actually chose a pretty big topic to tackle in Episode 1. We're going to take some time today to talk about burnout and its impact on the healthcare workforce. This is a very important topic as we discuss how we heal ourselves and our healthcare system. So I'm really looking forward to the conversation.
0: I couldn't agree more and very much look forward to chatting about all of these topics. So let's get to it. There's no question that the past few years have taken their toll on the entire world. However, a significant burden has been noted among healthcare workers. This goes beyond conventional stress. Several studies have been published describing the prevalence and impact of burnout in healthcare workers. According to the World Health Organization, occupational burnout is a syndrome resulting from chronic work-related stress with symptoms characterized by feelings of energy depletion or exhaustion, increased mental distance from one's job, or feelings of negativity or cynicism related to one's job and reduced effectiveness. Dr. Calderwood, will you kick us off today by talking about the difference between stress and burnout?
1: So this is a really important question. We need to enter today's conversation with an acknowledgement that we work in a high risk and often high stress environment. It can often be physically and emotionally challenging, but at the same time, it's our collective job to ensure a safe environment for those who we care for, including those providing the care. And as has been said, at healthcare's core, we are fundamentally human beings caring for human beings. So as we think about the intersection of stress performance, there actually is a level of stress that leads to optimum performance. Stress will always be there. But as this stress increases, you begin to move into periods of fatigue and exhaustion, And eventually, you can push yourself into an anxiety, panic, anger, or even breakdown. And each of these leads to more and more diminishment in performance. And we know that burnout itself is linked to issues of risk about patient safety, reduced quality of care, decreased patient satisfaction. And we need to understand how we re-engage a beleaguered workforce. So we've been working on staff engagement. And it's linked to our safety culture and the care that we provide. Now, if we think about burnout as a whole, this really is an occupational syndrome. It's an imbalance between the demands and the resources that individuals or groups feel as they go about their day-to-day work. And a lot of people focus on things like personal resilience—that's self-care, sleep, exercise, nutrition—but that's only part of the solution. We really need to also focus on issues like our culture of wellness, our meaning in work, our community and collegiality? What about appreciation and peer support or even flexibility? We also need to focus on our efficiency of practice. A lot of folks talk about the burden of documentation, staffing, scheduling, or even triage, how we are bringing patients who often are in need of urgent care into our system in doing this in an efficient manner. Now, Stanford's done a lot of work in this, and Dr. Shannonfeld, who's their chief wellness officer, has really focused on the three pillars that I've mentioned. He calls it a model of professional fulfillment. And what he says is that burnout is a work-related injury of a career in medicine. And I think it's important to recognize we're not going to resilience our way out of this. We have to address our culture of wellness and our efficiency of practice. Now, the American Medical Association has been putting a lot of focus into this area, stating in a review recently published in the Journal of American Medical Association, or JAMA, burnout is a problem of the whole healthcare organization rather than individuals. And I personally like this quote. It was published in the Harvard Business Review. And the quote said, after over two years of pandemic-fueled firefighting, during which more and more activities that might once have been considered above and beyond have become expected parts of workers' jobs, the benefits may increasingly feel outweighed by the costs. And this is part of the reset that must occur as we move forward.
0: I agree. Those are some really powerful thoughts. And this is definitely something that has been felt within our own field. Dr. Calderwood, as a provider with a background in hospital epidemiology, Can you speak to how burnout has impacted this field specifically?
1: So, this is an area that I obviously am close to and have a lot of passion about. There are unique drivers of burnout in those who choose a career in healthcare epidemiology and infection prevention. And when you think about the patient, for those that are focused in these fields, the patient is really the healthcare facility or the system. And that patient has really been sicker than ever. And it is also important to recognize that the job often involves changing through influence, which can be repetitive and exhausting. And we've learned that quite acutely during the pandemic that we are still in the midst of. And third, infection prevention programs, much like state and federal public health programs have been chronically underfunded. And so people are constantly asked to do more with less. A colleague of mine, Dr. Gonzalo Bierman from Virginia Commonwealth University, has written extensively on the topic. And he had a nice quote that stated crises don't respect the boundaries of work hours. And for those who have been working late nights and weekends and holidays to really help address both the COVID 19 pandemic and all of the other crises that pop up along the way, know this firsthand. And finally, Well, in the early days of the pandemic, there was a camaraderie or a sense of we're all in this together. The fatigue and burnout felt across the healthcare system eventually resulted in some becoming angry at policies that they see as overly burdensome and attacking the teams working to keep them and our patients safe, rather than working with these teams to learn and create change. And we do need to change. We need to evolve, but we need to do that together rather than apart. So, what I would say is it's important to be kind, to work together to address the challenges that we face, and to set priorities to address what is most urgent.
0: Yes, kindness and teamwork are crucial to our success. And it's unfortunate that we did go down that road where things became or felt more burdensome. And there was some attacking of teams helping to ensure patient care. But let's explore this a bit more. According to the American Nurses Foundation, some 52% of nurses are considering leaving healthcare, and this is contributing to a shortage of greater than a million nurses per the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. That's wild. Additionally, 20% of doctors say they're also planning to leave their practice per Mayo Clinic Proceedings, and the Association of American Medical Colleges has projected a shortage of 124,000 in the United States by 2034, with two out of five active physicians being 65 or older in the next decade. What can healthcare leaders do to treat and prevent burnout to right this ship?
1: So those are staggering numbers. I think it's really worth taking a moment just to reflect on that. I think we also have to recognize that burnout is different for each person. You know, as has been written by UC Hang and, and Kira Ron. Burnout is not a monolithic phenomenon. It can present in many kind of different combinations, whether it be exhaustion, cynical detachment, or reduced sense of efficacy. And you need to really understand which of these resources is being depleted as an individual is trying to find how to right-size the ship for themselves. We often have to ask our colleagues a few questions. What brought you to this job? What makes you proud to work here? What is the most meaningful part of your work? And when do you know you're making a difference? This is often just the start. You need to then follow up with what gets in the way of what matters, what gets in the way of a good day, and what frustrates you in your day. And these are important questions for you not just to ask others, but you to ask yourself. During the COVID-19 pandemic, we were able to stop doing a number of things to focus on the problems at hand. And there were changes to workflows that actually benefited both patients and providers. These included things like telehealth, and reductions in documentation requirements, and a focus on what were true rules and which were organizational or regulation myths or habits. And we have a lot of those myths and habits that people adhere to, but don't ask the questions why. So many hospitals are now asking what rules can be broken to improve care. And there's this idea that we need to engage our workforce in what some are referring to as gross, get rid of the stupid stuff. Now we also need to focus on our care environments. You know, if we think about our clinical spaces, they were often focused on the patient, but it's equally important to think about the space needs of our workforce. How do we think about things like daylight, reductions in noise, Workplace redesigns to reduce repetitive stress injuries. How about collaborative workspaces? Or even offstage spaces where staff can gather and be alone. Some call these restorative spaces. And finally, we have lots of folks, particularly if you're working on off hours, how do you get access to affordable, healthy food options? That can make a big difference as you're going about your day. Now, the other thing that people are often talking about, particularly these days, the importance of connections at work. It's been written that employees with close connections at work are more productive, creative, and collaborative. They also report being more satisfied with their job and less susceptible to burnout, and are less likely to leave their organization to pursue another role. Well we know all about what's getting in the way of that staff turnover, contract or temporary labor, remote work, and a shift away from in-person meetings. And it's not to say that all these things are bad, but they do absolutely impact some of those connections. And how do we create the space to rebuild some of what is needed? And then we also have to think about, you know, joy, a renewed focus on joy. Joy is linked to well being, engagement, even financial vitality. And if you improve joy, you decrease burnout, improve clinical outcomes, patient experience, and patient safety. It's critical for staff turnover, and it's also critical for driving recruitment. Our employees need to feel valued, supported, and we need to make a commitment to treat each other with civility and respect, to strengthen our foundation of trust, and each of us has a role as critical voices as part of our problem solving team. I want to end with this. Really, we need to be open, we need to be listening to the diverse ideas some of that even termed disruptive innovation, recognizing that the whole is greater than the sum of its part. We have amazing people and amazing ideas.
0: We certainly do. These are great points. So the questions you referenced seem to speak to what brings an individual joy and then what impedes that joy. And when the joy is impeded, then we moved in the direction of burnout. If we move in the direction of burnout, and it's not addressed. It will be harder for our patients to get the care that they need when they need it. Healthcare costs will increase. It will hinder our ability to prepare for the next public health emergency and also exacerbate health disparities. So what are some of the things that Dartmouth Health is doing to address burnout in our healthcare workers?
1: So Dartmouth Health has created both a Department of Caregiver well-being as well as formed a well-being council. And it has fairly broad representation, physicians, advanced practice practitioners, nurses, and other members of our healthcare workforce. And this department and this council have been focused in three main areas, overlapping with what I talked about earlier, the efficiency of practice, personal resilience, and our culture of wellness. So if we think about our care environment, Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical Center has created Respite rooms or restorative spaces. And we now have a new tower that is about to open this spring. And there's been a lot of work in improving that environment and how our teams work together and have space to work effectively. Now, as that tower opens, we are going to be going back and updating existing units with a similar focus on optimum care environments, both for patients and for caregivers. Now, there's also been kind of a well-received focus on ensuring affordable, healthy food options in all shifts, and I mentioned that early. But we also have seen the creation of affinity groups. How do our staff help to find others and build communities? Now, if we think about the efficiency of practice, the Wellbeing Council has been focused on workflows within our electronic health record, with a real focus on redesign in an effort to reduce burden. Now, that's going to take a focus on local expertise to understand the needs of specific frontline groups, and what works for one group is not going to work for all groups. That's why there's been a focus on efficiency coaches, working with specific teams to understand their needs and to help drive those changes. There's also been, as I mentioned, a focus on understanding these healthcare rules that could be modified or improved how do we understand what really is a rule and what may just be a habit? And as I round with teams, this is often a focus. And I'm always excited to hear and help move forward ideas that I hear from people that say, I've got an idea, but I don't know how to make it happen. And I love hearing that. We really want to give voice to that. Now, in terms of resilience, I like this quote from Eileen Zimmerman resilient people learn to accept what they can't change about a situation, and then ask what they can actually change. Banging your head against a wall and fretting endlessly about not being able to change things lessens your ability to cope. Change is always possible, but we need to work together. As I recently said in a talk, we need to ensure that we are recognizing the knowledge and creativity of our full team, This includes empowering frontline teams to act immediately on tests of change if they align with broader hospital goals. This allows us to show deference to expertise and to decentralize authority for change that encourages innovation and does not punish failure if it allows for iterative learning and improvement. We need to be multipliers. We need to amplify the strengths, skills, and voices of others, as opposed to being diminishers who drain the capability and intelligence from our teams. Many have heard about Patrick Lencioni, often kind of referenced in some of our leadership training here at Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical Center and Dartmouth Health, but he has said, when team members trust one another, when they know that everyone is capable of admitting, when they don't have the right answer, and when they acknowledge when someone else's idea is better than theirs, conflict becomes an attempt to find the best possible answer. Conflict is not always bad, but we need to be able to do it in a way that is collegial and aimed at improving situation for all. So we ask that people bring their ideas forward to the Wellbeing Council. We're strengthened through our diversity of ideas and innovative thinking, and we can't act on it if we're not hearing it.
0: That's fantastic. It sounds like Dartmouth Health has taken on some really focused work around burnout prevention and reduction, as well as healing, which is so important. So, Dr. Calderwood, thank you again for today's conversation. Do you have any final thoughts for our listeners?
1: Jesse, I just want to really thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to chat about a topic that's important to me, important to our community. We've all been through a lot over the past few years, It's exacerbated drivers of burnout amongst our colleagues and our friends. And honestly, these drivers were present long before the COVID-19 pandemic. It's important that we work together. And I I like this idea that we define a positive goal that we are moving toward and not just a negative state that we are moving away from. We need to stay true to our why. means we need to know our why. We need to remain true to our whole selves. And sustain the connections that we have both at work and outside of work. In closing, I want to share something I recently wrote to a friend who was having a hard time. Remember that work is only one part of life. We are multi-dimensional beings. There will be days when work fills your wings, days when family and friends fill your wings, days when you are the wind, and days When someone needs to catch you as you fall. To my family and my friends who have continued to sustain me and to remind me about what is important, I am forever grateful. As is often said, never worry or suffer or cry alone. This is something that we must repeatedly remind ourselves. I'd like to thank the listeners for joining us today. We look forward to hearing from you and coming together next time to share additional topics impacting our patients our people, and you.
0: Thank you so much. That is a beautiful way to end today's podcast. And thank you to all who are listening, to our colleagues in healthcare who have and continue to give so much to their communities and to our families who are often the unsung heroes So please do join us for future episodes of Calderwood Considers, where we will discuss work focused on safety culture, patient experience, communication, quality metrics and improvement science, root cause analysis focused on system design, and definitions and components of value. Thanks, everyone.